0: And Welcome to the hypochondriacs almanac podcast. I'm your host, Sarah. We have a brand spanking new episode for you guys tonight. But before we get started, we need to talk about a few little disclaimers. We are not doctors, nurses, or medical professionals of any kind here on the show. So please do not take what we say on the show as medical advice. If you have a condition, a question, or any kind of an issue, please see your doctor. Okay, Let's jump into the first article for the day. This one is pretty doggone interesting. TikToker52 reveals what life with dementia feels like in a viral video. Samantha Vecchirelli wrote this article. A TikTok creator has gone viral online for sharing her experience with dementia. Jana, aka at Welcome to Dementia on the app, regularly uses her platform to openly discuss what it feels like to live with a neurodegenerative disease. Her TikTok bio states that she is sharing my journey, my past, and having fun while living with dementia. Jana, 52, recently posted a three-minute video discussing what it really feels like to experience the early stages of dementia to her 68,000 followers. It has since gone viral on the platform, racking up more than a million views since being posted. Somebody asked me what dementia feels like and what caused me concern in the beginning. So I'll tell you from the beginning up to now what it felt like. At first, it was not wanting to wake up, said Jana, when detailing her initial worries. I'd sleep and I'd be so tired. According to Jana, being in the dream state made her feel so good that she just wanted to stay there. When she did wake up, she would feel extremely angry and agitated, just wanting to go back to sleep. She also shared that she got to a point where she thought people around her were patronizing her and it felt as if people were talking to her and not listening enough. However, she soon learned that this was because she wasn't finishing her sentences or that she had been repeating the same questions. "'It got to the point where I felt like I was on a boat and my feet were unsteady all the time,' she continued, "'to the point where you'd feel like people were playing tricks on you and lying to you about the things you'd done or where things turned up or disappeared.'" Jana admitted she was ultimately starting to feel introverted or agoraphobic but it turned out she was unable to have conversations with people and as a result she became terrified to interact with other people and only felt comfortable interacting with her family. Physically Jana started dropping things and getting frustrated with things that used to be normal. She confessed that she now needs help with just about everything from opening things to cooking. She is also having difficulty controlling her bladder and bowels. According to Jana, the list just goes on. I feel betrayed by my brain because there are things I should remember, she concluded. TikTok users took to the comments section of Jana's latest video to express their condolences as well as thanking her for having the courage and strength to share her journey with the world. How generous of you to be so vulnerable and honest. This video is such a gift. Thank you. I'm so sorry this is happening to you, stated one user. As a pharmacist, thank you. This is the side I've never heard but hope to learn. You are doing so much good here, said another. This was a very detailed and wonderful explanation. Thank you for being so raw, read another comment. Other users didn't realize dementia could affect people as young as Jana. Wow, I had no idea people as young as yourself could suffer from dementia. Thank you for sharing and educating others, commented one user. Jana's previous TikToks are all related to the topic of dementia and how it affected her life. In one video, she talks about how her diagnosis has affected her husband. In another, she takes the time to discuss the advice she would give her younger self when it comes to developing her brain, like researching ways to improve brain health. If you notice a change in a family member's ability to recall information, repeating themselves, becoming confused, struggling with their vocabulary, or completing tasks that would otherwise seem easy, like shopping or driving to a familiar location, consider accompanying them to an appointment with their family doctor as soon as possible. A doctor can perform memory tests and others to measure blood pressure and check levels of various chemicals, hormones, and vitamins in the body. The family physician can refer the patient to a memory clinic as well, where more testing can be done to determine if the diagnosis is indeed dementia. Wow. Next article. A 39-year-old pastor died after trying to go 40 days without food and water while fasting like Jesus. Matthew Lowe wrote this article. A pastor in Mozambique has died after attempting to go 25 days without food or water in a bid to fast like Jesus in the Bible, per multiple media reports. Francisco Barajá, the 39-year-old founder of the Santa Trinidad Evangelical Church, died in a hospital in Mozambique's capital, Beira, on Wednesday. He had been attempting to emulate Jesus' 40-day fast from the Bible. By the time Baraha was administered medical aid, his digestive organs had failed and he was diagnosed with acute anemia, or when the body doesn't have enough healthy red blood cells to carry sufficient oxygen. His family and followers said that Baraha had fallen sick after 25 days of his fast and insisted that he be admitted to a hospital where he was given serums to get rehydrated. Staff at Hospital Central de Baraja attempted to reintroduce liquid foods to Baraja's diet, but his organs were in such a bad state that it hurt when he tried to eat. Baraja had lost so much weight he couldn't stand or bathe himself. He died at the hospital. His brother, Marquis Manuel Baraja, said Baraja had fasted, but claimed he suffered from low blood pressure, objecting to the medical diagnosis. It's not immediately clear how Baraja survived for 25 days without water. The Guinness World Record for the longest amount of time that a human has survived without food and water is 18 days, when an Austrian teenager was put into a holding cell in 1979 and forgotten by police. The Bible doesn't explicitly state if Jesus abstained from water during his 40-day fast. In their accounts of the temptation of Christ, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke say Christ was hungry and ate nothing. Braha isn't the first devout Christian to die in an attempt to fast like Jesus. In 2006, a 34-year-old woman in East London died after going 23 days without food or water while trying to mimic Christ's fast. Zero-calorie sweetener popular in keto diets has now been linked to strokes and heart attack. Lauren Seforza wrote this article. A new study has found that zero-calorie sweetener that is popular in ketogenic diets has been linked to strokes, heart attacks, blood clots, and death. The artificial sweetener, called erythriol, is often found in diet foods like Truvia as a sugar replacement because it does not affect blood glucose levels and does not have any calories. A new study published in the Journal of Nature Medicine on Monday found that higher levels of the sweetener are correlated with a higher chance of heart attack, stroke, or death in three years when analyzing blood samples from three different populations. Researchers first found the correlation between increased levels of this sugar and major adverse cardiac events when analyzing chemicals and compounds in 1,157 blood samples of those who were at risk for heart disease that were collected between 2004 and 2011. After discovering the link between the high levels and increased risk, the researchers confirmed their results by testing a larger sample of 2,100 people in the U.S. and 833 samples in Europe through 2018. Following exposure to the artificial sweetener, a prolonged period of potentially heightened risk may occur. This is a concern given the very patients for whom artificial sweeteners are marketed – i.e., patients with diabetes, obesity, and history of, of cardiovascular diseases and impaired kidney function are those typically at higher risk for future cardiovascular disease events. The study also found that when a group of eight healthy volunteers drank a beverage with 30 grams of this artificial sweetener, there was a heightened blood clot risk. Researchers told CNN that the degree of risk was not modest. If your blood level after this artificial sweetener was in the top 25 compared to the bottom 25%, there was about a two-fold higher risk for heart attack and stroke. It's on par with the strongest of cardiac risk factors like diabetes. According to the American Heart Association, cardiovascular disease, which includes heart attacks and strokes, accounted for 874,613 deaths in the United States in 2019. Wow. So if you are having those artificial sweeteners like the Truvia, stop using them if you have increased risks. Or see your doctor to discuss that. Next article. Untreated UTIs can be deadly. Many menopausal women don't even know they have a higher risk. Megan Hollihan wrote this article. Many people in menopause notice that they experience more urinary tract infections or UTIs than they did in younger years. For some, if they're left untreated, they could end up in the hospital facing more serious conditions like sepsis or delirium. But why are UTIs more common and more serious after menopause? When we look at recurrent urinary tract infections in a postmenopausal population, it is devastating, say doctors. It is one of the easiest solvable conditions out there, and yet not only do women not know they're associated with menopause, but neither do their doctors. These women keep getting unnecessary and often wrong antibiotics. They get unnecessary procedures, they're miserable, and they get in trouble where they end up with sepsis and people die. And we're not overstating this, say doctors. What is it about menopause and UTIs? A UTI occurs when bacteria enters the urethra and travels up to the bladder and causes an infection. Women are more prone to them than men at any point in their lives because their urethras are shorter and closer to the anus. But the changes that people undergo during menopause make them even more likely to occur. The balance that was kept in the vagina from the hormones is no longer there, say experts. They no longer have the protection of the lactobacillus and the estrogen in that environment. This change allows bad bacteria to flourish. What happens is the E. coli from the anus has absolutely no trouble at all making its way up the urethra and hanging out in the bladder, and this can occur again and again. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, urinary tract infection symptoms include burning or pain with urination, feeling the need to urinate even though the bladder is empty, urinating more often, blood in the urine, abdominal pain, and cramping. Postmenopausal people might notice they experience recurrent or persistent urinary tract infections defined as more than two infections in six months and more than three per year. They note, however, that other menopausal symptoms can make it difficult for women to know they have a UTI. The other thing that makes it a little trickier is that postmenopause population is a lot of people that think they have a UTI and they don't. When you look at the symptoms of a urinary tract infection, that gotta-go feeling, the urgency and burning, you get that just as a consequence of a particular syndrome of menopause, and that is not an infection. Geniturinary syndrome, of menopause or GSM is a condition that occurs because postmenopausal women have less estrogen and that contributes to vulvar atrophy. According to doctors, GMS causes a variety of symptoms, including vaginal dryness, pain during sex, difficulty sitting, and frequent urges to urinate. The treatment is different, and if you have a urinary tract infection, you need antibiotics to treat that. Treatments for reoccurrent UTIs. While they feel painful and uncomfortable and can lead to severe illness, there are several prescription treatments that can reduce reoccurrent UTIs. Vaginal estrogen, which can be a cream, insert, pill, or ring, can contribute to the restoration of the vaginal microbiome to reduce the UTI risk. The number one benefit of vaginal estrogen is that it's going to correct your vaginal pH and the alteration in the microbiome. It's basically going to eliminate reoccurrent UTIs. Vaginal estrogen doesn't impact the circulating estrogen in the body like hormone replacement therapy, so it doesn't have the same risks associated with HRT. For those that don't feel comfortable taking estrogen, there are other treatments like DHEA inserts into the vagina. DHEA is very interesting because it is a building block for both estrogen and testosterone, and in the vagina, you not only have estrogen receptors, but also testosterone receptors as well. By putting a DHEA suppository in your vagina, your own vaginal cells kick in and make a local estrogen and testosterone. This can help treat both GSM and UTIs. This is a daily suppository that women put in their vagina that works really well, say the experts. Another possible treatment is a selective estrogen receptor modulator or SERM, which can be used to either activate estrogen receptors or block them in different parts of the body. This SERM, it turns on the estrogen receptors in the vagina and turns them off in the breast. It's good to treat vaginal dryness, but also helps with reoccurrent UTIs, making it a good treatment for those who might experience both. Although it's not FDA approved for recurrent UTIs, the data shows that it can decrease them. Too often women think that bladder infections are simply a part of being a woman and don't seek help, but doctors say there are changes in the works. Anybody who's had a bladder infection, a real one, they know it's miserable and symptoms are horrible, but they don't look at it as something that should be potentially life-threatening. And the message certainly is not out there, particularly in older women. So if you have questions about that and you suspect you might be impacted by that, go see your doctor. Next article. Bile acids and gut microbiomes could potentially treat multiple sclerosis, according to new research in mice. Andrea Merchak wrote this article. Multiple sclerosis is characterized by an immune system gone haywire. A patient's immune system starts treating the protective coating of the nerves, called myelin, as dangerous. The subsequent nerve damage can cause a variety of symptoms, including muscle weakness, pain, and vision loss. MS currently has no cure, and doctors still don't completely understand what causes it. While there's a genetic component to MS, environmental factors also play a big role in determining whether someone will develop the disease. Recent evidence suggests that what's in your digestive tract may also be a meaningful contributor to the disease risk. Doctors are working to understand the two-way communication between the human body and the bacteria that live in the digestive system. In recently published research, doctors found that bile acid in the intestines could be harnessed to protect people at high risk of MS from developing the disease, offering a new avenue for drug development. Trillions of bacteria currently live in the human gut. They help the body with everything from digesting food to preventing overgrowth of infectious and dangerous bacteria. They also educate the immune system to recognize what is dangerous and what is not. If this process is disturbed, the immune system may become overactive and start to treat natural parts of the body as dangerous. This is called autoimmunity. Scientists believe that one way bacteria and the immune system communicate with each other is through the aryl hydrocarbon receptor, or AHR, which resides in most cells of the body. This protein acts like an emergency call center when it encounters certain chemicals. It will identify the appropriate response and send a signal to the cell recommending what it should do. While researchers have shown that signals from AHR influence multiple sclerosis development, how they do that is unclear. To better understand what AHR is doing specifically in the guts of patients with MS, we genetically engineered mice that are missing AHR in some of their immune cells. By silencing AHR's activity, doctors could then understand what role it may be playing in autoimmunity. They expected to learn more from this experiment about the molecular communication of immune cells. Instead, they found something surprising. The gut environment in mice had changed. Specifically, the chemical composition of their guts had been altered, indicating that the metabolism of gut bacteria had shifted. This meant that AHR is not only sensing what's going on in the gut, but the receptor is also actively shaping its environment. More importantly, they found that mice without AHR were able to recover from MS. In mouse models of MS, doctors induced autoimmunity by immunizing mice against myelin, the protective layer surrounding the neurons. This meant that the immune system of the mice was primed to attack the myelin, leading to the poor muscle control and paralysis seen in MS. Doctors wanted to test whether the gut microbiome played a role in why mice with AHR were able to recover. When they transplanted the gut bacteria from the digestive tracts of mice without AHR into mice with it, they found that the mice with AHR were also able to recover from paralysis. This meant that the gut microbiome was driving recovery from MS. Doctors also found that the guts of mice without AHR had high levels of bile acids, chemicals produced in the liver and secreted into the intestines that helped with digestion. Bile acids are often broken down by the resident bacteria in the gut. One bile acid in particular called tyrocholic acid was especially concentrated in mice without AHR. To test whether tarocolic acid offered protection against MS, doctors fed this chemical to mice with AHR as they started to develop autoimmunity to myelin. While control mice that were fed saline became paralyzed from the waist down, the mice that were fed the tarocolic acid just got a little wobbly before they recovered. Further investigation was done, and doctors discovered that these mice were able to recover their motor control because their immune cells were not as strong. Exposing their immune cells to bile acids shortened the lifespan of the cells, thus preventing them from causing as much damage to myelin and motor neurons. Whilst doctors still don't understand why bile acids weaken immune cells, they believe this may be a key to understanding how to interpret autoimmunity in MS and other autoimmune disorders. Current available therapies for autoimmune disorders like MS are immunosuppressant drugs that quiet the immune response. While these drugs can reduce relapse and delay disease progression, they also put patients at high risk of infection and difficult side effects. With the COVID-19 pandemic, the danger of having a weakened immune system has become even more apparent. Finding other avenues to quiet an overactive immune system such as through bile acids could help researchers create safer drugs that could help prevent or treat disease. The body produces eight different bile acids that each have different chemical properties. Doctors are working to identify whether taric acid is truly the best option for treating MS, or if another bile acid or a combination of several could be more effective bile acids are far from ready to be used as a treatment, but researchers do believe that this could be the key to preventing multiple sclerosis and is inside of us already. Wow, that is super interesting. Next article, catching flu in early pregnancy doubles risk of babies being born with heart defects, according to recent studies. There was no author listed on this one. Getting the flu in early stages of pregnancy can more than double the risk of a baby having a cleft lip, heart defects, or spina bifida, according to a comprehensive new study. On the back of the worrying research findings, medical experts are now urging every mom to get flu vaccine. Groundbreaking studies, which analyzed 10,000 pieces of research and almost 100,000 births, found that in some cases getting the flu during the first trimester even increased the risk to an unborn baby fourfold. The study, which is the first focused exclusively on complications of first trimester influenza, was carried out by researchers from the University of Budapest in Hungary, from Semmelweis University in Budapest, Hungary. A total of 85,855 births were analyzed by women aged 20 to 45. The results show the total risk of congenital anomalies can increase by 50%, 1.5 times on average if a mother-to-be catches the flu in the first trimester compared to a healthy pregnancy. In a more detailed comparison, the risk of neural tube defects can increase by an average of 148% or 2.48 times. The significance of neural tube defects is considerable as they are among the most common causes of genetic abortions. On average, the risk of developing cleft, lip, and palate can increase by a similar amount up to 2.48 times. These children often struggle with feeding difficulties and may develop hearing loss and speech problems. The third group is congenital heart defects, which can increase by an average of 63% or 1.63 times. Within this, the chance of developing aortic correction or narrowing of the aorta can increase up to four times due to the first trimester maternal influenza infection. Some studies also reported a higher risk of limb development and eye anomalies. Pregnancy complications caused by viral infections have been the focus of attention in recent years due to the COVID-19 virus, and there are growing concerns we might face similar pandemics in the future. In these studies, doctors analyzed how first trimester influenza could affect newborns. The first three months are crucial as most of their organs are developing. The importance of prevention cannot be emphasized enough, according to doctors. The results show the first trimester flu can have serious implications as it is the most critical period in the development of the fetus. Therefore, doctors strongly recommend every mom-to-be get the flu vaccine, even in the planning stages of pregnancy. The team analyzed more than 10,000 research papers and drew conclusions by comparing data from 14 specific scientific papers published between 1964 and November 2022. Previous studies have indicated it is not the influenza virus itself, but the fever which can cause complications. Therefore, it is crucial to reduce the temperature in women if they fall ill when they are pregnant. It is also widely reported that taking folic acid and vitamins can help prevent congenital anomalies. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 39 to 51 million people contract the flu each year, mainly between December and March. The incubation period for the virus is about 48 hours and people usually recover three to seven days after the virus. Patients can then develop a secondary bacterial infection. In pregnant women, this can also lead to complications. Doctors are now working on other large-scale studies. The database contains information on about 90,000 births in Hungary between 1980 and 2009 scientists are trying to establish to what extent first trimester flu can cause congenital disabilities, but the results so far support the conclusions drawn from the current international meta-analysis. Wow, that is interesting indeed. And one last article, how naked mole rats could hold the key to reversing menopause, and Sarah Napton wrote this article. Naked mole rats continue to produce eggs throughout life, scientists have found, raising hopes of reversing menopause if experts can work out how they are achieving the feat. Subterranean rodents are known for their exceptional fertility, where the female queen can continue giving birth into old age. But until now, scientists did not know whether they were simply born with an exceptional number of eggs or whether they had managed to find another way of continuing to make new eggs throughout their lives, something no other mammal can do. A new study by U.S. scientists has shown that they do both. Naked mole rat females are born with exceptionally large numbers of egg cells compared to mice, and death rates of those cells were lower than in mice. At 8 days old, a naked mole rat female has an average of 1.5 million egg cells, about 95 times more than mice of the same age. Even more remarkably, the study found that eggs continue to develop after birth, with egg-bearing cells dividing into new cells at 10 years old. This suggests that egg production probably continues through their 30-year lives. This finding is extraordinary, say scientists. It challenges the dogma that was established nearly seven years ago, which stated that female mammals are endowed with a finite number of eggs before or shortly after birth, without any additions being made to the ovarian reserve thereafter. Most mammals, including females, are born with a finite number of egg cells which develop while still in the womb. Because this limited supply of egg cells depletes over time, fertility declines with age, eventually stopping altogether in menopause. Yet if scientists could find out what genetic process is triggering the continued production of eggs even after birth, they may be able to help women continue to have their own children later in life. This is important because if we can figure out how they're able to do this, we might be able to develop new drugs that target or techniques to help human health, say doctors. Even though humans are living longer, menopause still happens at the same age. We hope to use what we are learning from the naked mole rat to protect ovary function later in life and prolong fertility. From the research, scientists compared ovaries from naked mole rats and mice across different stages of development. Naked mole rats live in colonies of several dozen to hundreds of individuals. Like bees or ants, colony members divvy up tasks, including providing defense, digging tunnels, caring for young, and collecting food. Only the single dominant female in a colony can breed, and the queen suppresses reproduction of other females. Unlike bees or ants, a female naked mole rat is not born a queen, but competes with other females to take the position. The queen can continue to breed into old age, preserving fertility in a way no other mammal can achieve. Naked mole rats are the weirdest animals, according to scientists. They're the longest-lived rodent, they almost never get cancer, they don't feel pain like other mammals, they live in underground colonies, and only the queen can have babies. But to me, the most interesting thing is that they never stop having babies, they don't have a drop in fertility as they age. Wow. That really is super interesting indeed. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. We're at hypoalmapodcast at gmail.com. We will drop that email address as well as all of the articles that we have used on the show today into our show notes. And please join us again next time when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild medical stories. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay healthy, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye!